What's up, everybody? This is Pastor James, and welcome back to our midweek Bible study. We are still in chapter 26, and because there is so much going on, this is probably going to take even a few more weeks, even after we do today's. Um, <clears throat> last week, we talked about the Last Supper communion, as you would have it, and how Jesus communicated the new covenant with his disciples, and, and he sat at the table with the man that would betray him even giving him a seat of honor. Uh, I, I'm not sure if we mentioned that in our Bible study on the podcast, but I know we talked about it with our uh, Wednesday night group that basically Judas was sitting at a seat of honor at this meal. And so even up to the very end, Jesus was honoring Judas and, and loving on him and, and teaching him, even though Judas had already agreed to betray him. So in today's passage, we're picking up immediately following that meal, as the disciples are on their way to pray at Gethsemane, and Judas is on his way to begin the betrayal of Jesus. So let's read together Matthew 26, verses 31 through 35, and then we'll talk about um, this short little passage really fast. It says, On the way, Jesus told them, Tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. <clears throat> Peter declared, Even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. All right, so here Jesus is informing his disciples of what is to come. And he, and he doesn't sugarcoat it for any of them. He, he's very blunt in saying that all of you are going to desert me. You're going to turn away from me. Um, and you have to remember the heart of Jesus in this moment. He, he isn't saying this to shame them or ridicule them for what's coming. He, he is simply communicating that he knows what is coming and that he is in absolute control of this situation. Now, this is... Super, super important because Jesus is in control. And when all this stuff starts happening, the disciples are not going to feel like Jesus is in control, but he is very much in control. He knows everything that's about to happen, and he is willingly submitting to God's will in all this. And even though the disciples are going to desert him, Jesus said that he would go ahead and still meet them in Galilee. So he isn't chastising them for what's about to come. He's simply reminding them that he is the Messiah. He is already looking beyond their failure and beyond his crucifixion, and he's talking about when he is being raised from the dead. And this is another point that needs to be stressed significantly. Jesus was always talking about his resurrection. He was always talking about how he was going to die and then be raised to life again. And this is so important because Jesus very firmly taught this over and over and over again, yet the disciples never could grasp it. And good old Peter opens his mouth to make a bold claim, as he always did, and this time... It, it kind of got him into trouble, you know. In, in some of the ones, some of the passages we've read previous to this, Peter opens up his mouth, and Jesus kind of honors him because of his statements or because of his um, responses. But this is another time where it just gets him in trouble, and uh, 
Jesus says, oh no, Peter, you're going to be the worst of all because you're going to deny me. And so even though Peter declares that he would never desert Jesus, Jesus corrects him and says, not only once, but three times, you will deny me even before the rooster crows. So Jesus completely knew, he completely understood, and he was in complete control during this entire process. And he did not hold the failure of the disciples over their head. Uh, he still loved them. He still cared about them. And he was still willing to use them despite the failure that was coming uh, in the near future. So one thing to take note of in this passage is that despite what Jesus said, Peter and the disciples all thought very highly of themselves and thought that they would never do anything like what Jesus was saying. Which I feel like a lot of Christians probably think that way. We think that we would never do this or we would never say this or we would never give in to this thing. Um, we all think more highly of ourselves probably than we should. Um, but at the same time, the disciples had never been faced with what they were about to be faced with. It wasn't going to be a fight. This was going to be an act of willingly allowing yourself to be taken advantage of and willingly allowing yourself to be put to death even though you had done nothing wrong. And that was completely different from what the disciples uh, understood at that moment in time. They did not realize what was coming and what they were about to face. And so it was going to be a harsh realization of where they truly were in their devotion to Christ when Jesus caused them to put down their swords and to willingly uh, lay their lives down. So uh, now let's go to verses 36 through 46 and read about Jesus praying in Gethsemane and we'll probably be done uh, for today uh, just to keep these passages or this time time frame short enough for us to, to really not drag this thing out. So uh, let's read verses 36 through 46 together. It says, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane and he said, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left him a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. All right. So the Garden of Gethsemane was just east of the temple in Jerusalem and was on the lower slopes of the Mount of Olives. So um, just kind of in relation to what's going on, it just kind of gives you a, a geographical stance as far as um, you know, just where to picture where Jesus is in this moment. He's just east of the temple. Um, he's on the lower slopes of the Mount of Olives in this olive garden um, called Gethsemane. And the trees in this garden were ancient, and it was in this place that olives had been pressed to get the oil from them 
And it would be in this very place that Jesus would also be pressed and crushed to bring about the will of God for the good of all of us uh, humans. And this is a side of Jesus that we have yet to see. Uh, up to this point, Jesus has been fully in control and executing his Father's will uh, with almost hand-in-hand uh, hand with his own will. And so I want to say that again um, in case you, you didn't really comprehend that. You know, up to this point, it seems like Jesus has been joyfully doing the Father's will. Um, you know, it probably wasn't always easy. It probably wasn't always, you know, a joy but from the way that Scripture reads, it seems that Jesus has joyfully done the Father's will. He's always talked about, I come to do my Father's will. And he seems to be very pleased with this up until this point. Um, he was one with the Father. But in this moment, for what seems to be the first time, Jesus' will, his own will, and the Father's will seem to be going in different directions. And Jesus understood what was coming to him. And as the time of pain and suffering drew near, Jesus was at conflict within himself to see the Father's will done up to the very end, and yet wanting what he wanted in his own flesh and human nature. And he even told James, John, and Peter that he was crushed with grief to the point of death. Uh, uh, and that was figurative because he was still alive, but at the same time, it was literal because death was coming for him. I mean, uh, you know, I, we you hear people debate this all the time. Would you rather know that your death is coming or would you rather just want to live and not have to worry about it coming? Um, some people want to know. Some people don't want to know because thinking about it would just be torture in itself. But Jesus completely understands and realizes what is coming to him. Now, this is the point where so many theologians talk about the physical and spiritual things happening here. Many theologians claim that it was not the physical pain that Jesus was dreading, but it was the spiritual pain that was coming. And you have to think within one day, within a day's time, Jesus is going to be crucified and the Father is going to turn from him as the sin of the world would be placed on Jesus in this moment. And this would be the first time, think about this, this is the first time in all of eternity that Jesus would have been separated from God. And that pain was what many theologians say horrified and crushed Jesus the most. Um, only someone who had always been with God and had never been separated from God could truly understand the horror of not having God for any amount of time. And Jesus understood what not having God would be like and what it meant. And it was the worst thing that could happen in all of time and existence is to be separated from God. Jesus is the man that knew no sin who would become sin so that we might become his righteousness. And this was going to be the worst thing that could ever happen in all of creation. We as people have a hard time understanding this because we are born into sin. We are born separated from God. And so we have to have this, this experience, this conversion experience with acknowledging Jesus as Lord and Savior, with repenting of our sins, with asking God to come into our heart, asking Him to change us and help us to be born again as new creations in Him to be reunited with God. And so 
even the, the, the fear of being separated from God just does not resonate the same as what it would for someone like Jesus who had never been separated from God in all of eternity. And when you think about hell and what hell means, hell is separation from God. Heaven is being in the presence of God for all eternity. Hell is separation from God. So even in this moment, as God is about to turn his face on Jesus and turn away from all the sin that's placed on him, Jesus is experiencing hell for a short amount of time as God turns away from him. So, as Jesus begins to pray, we see that his own will is battling against God's will. And he asks, if this is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. There is a human aspect of Jesus in this moment that does not want to endure what lies ahead. Yet, there is still a holy aspect of God that desires that the Father's will be done even above his own. And so in this moment, we get to see that Jesus is fully human and yet fully God. He does not want to do God's will, yet he is determined to do God's will. And this is very important because it shows that Jesus has free will. It shows that he is choosing this. It shows that he is completely surrendered to the will of our Father. And Jesus did this for us and for God, even though he didn't want to. And we should be forever grateful for his sacrifice um, because there's nothing in all the world that we could do to ever repay him for what he did on the cross for us. And in this moment, Jesus needed his disciples now more than ever, and he returns to them and finds them asleep. But he needed them to be praying, and he encourages them to keep watching pray so that they would not give in to temptation. And, and the constant connection and communication with God is one of the main things that keeps us in tune with God's will and helps us not to sin against God's will. Jesus did this perfectly. He prayed constantly. He always went by himself. He always took time to pray and, and to honor God and to seek his face and to seek his will. We have to do this as people. He is telling his disciples that they need to do this. They need to pray in order to keep their proclamation that they would never desert him. All right, the disciples said, we will never desert you. We will be with you to the very, we will die for you. But in order to be able to do that, you need to pray. You need to be one with the Father's will. And you can't do that if we're sleeping rather than praying. You can't do that if you're seeking your own will rather than God's. You can't do that if you're spending time building your own kingdom and not building God's kingdom. We have to be completely devoted to God. And the disciples were too tired to do what needed to be done in order for them to remain faithful to God like they said they would be. And always remember this, that the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. We may all want to do what is right, but many times our flesh fails us as humans. We need a supernatural intervention from the Holy Spirit to help us be pleasing to God. And so Jesus leaves them again and goes back to pray because that is where he gets his strength from. And so he, he tells the disciples, keep watching, pray with me. He goes back and he prays. And basically, the same prayer happens again. Father, take it away, but let your will be done. Then he returns to the disciples. He finds them asleep again. And so he leaves them a third time and he prays the same things. Father, let your will be done, not mine. And as he returns the third time from praying, 
the time is up. The clock has ran out. Um, Jesus' time with the disciples has run out. And in the last moments that the disciples had to be faithful to Jesus, they spent them sleeping rather than lifting him up in prayer like he asked them to and really like he needed them to. Uh, the sand has run out. The clock is wound down. Time is out. And the one who would betray Jesus has just arrived. So as we finish up today, I just want to ask you guys, what are you doing? Are you confident in your spiritual life? Are you committed to Christ? The disciples were. We would never desert or deny you. We would die with you. The disciples didn't think that they would desert Jesus or deny him. So would you ever desert or deny Jesus? Are you keeping watch and praying with him? The disciples were sleeping, even though they said they would keep watch and pray. My challenge to each of you today is to keep watch and pray so that you do not give in to temptation. Because if the disciples who walked with Jesus on this earth slept instead of prayed, and they fell into temptation, and they deserted Christ and ran away, don't think for one second that we're so strong that we won't fall into the same trap. Because Jesus told them, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And so for many of us who are listening into this today, and I'm including myself in this, there's so many times where I have wanted to serve God and follow him and resist temptation and, and do all the things that God wants us to do. And I look back on my life and I fully understand that my spirit is very willing, but my body is very weak because I have failed God so many times. This is why we have to keep watching pray. This is why we have to seek Christ with all that we are so that we can be prepared when the time of testing comes. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to be called your children, to have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, to receive his broken body, and to receive the sacrifice and the covenant of his blood. Thank you for forgiveness of sin. Thank you for cleansing us. Thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you for the ability to be equipped to do your will. God, I pray that you would help us to pray and to seek your face and to keep watch so that we can do your will and not fall into temptation. Lord, send us your Holy Spirit because we know that our spirit is willing, but our body is weak. And we need your spirit to give us the strength to do all the things you call us to do. We love you. We thank you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks again for another week. We appreciate you listening in. We appreciate you being a part of the Graham family. If you can't be on campus this weekend, catch us on Facebook, YouTube, or the podcast. We love you. We're praying for you. Hope you have a great week.